Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today is Thursday, September 20th, September 17th, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. New polling shows that Jamie Harrison is tied with Sarah Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. We'll talk about whether he can actually win. Attorney General Bill Barr slams Black Lives Matter and compares coronavirus efforts to slavery. Did he forget about Jim Crow? Today, Donald Trump blasts 1619 Project <laughs> at his pretty much white meeting. All these historians, not one black. Ebony Hilton about that and other coronavirus issues in a new Education Matters feature on the show sponsored by uh, School Choice is the Black Choice. We'll examine the impact of reopening schools on African-American students. You'll also hear from the Tennessee state representative who was removed from the Democratic Party because of his views on abortion. And in New York, yep, Black female jogger attacked by a crazy-ass white woman. She says it was a hate crime. And in Salt Lake City, a cop is charged for ordering his dog to attack a black man. In California, 
The Correctional Peace Officers Association posted a video showing crosshairs on the photo of a black assemblyman. Plus, they're just, just more craziness, y'all. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham is tied with his Democratic challenger, Jamie Harrison, for the U.S. Senate race. According to a new Quinnipiac University survey released yesterday, the poll shows both Graham and Harrison at 48 percent among likely South Carolina voters. Since winning his seat in 2002, Graham has been easily reelected by double-digit margins. Joining me now to discuss this race is Meg Kennard, national politics reporter for the Associated Press, based there in South Carolina. Uh, Meg, uh, are these polls real? I mean, are you are we actually seeing this race this tight in South Carolina? Hey, Roland, it's always good to be back with you. You know, these polls are they're really something. Um, but again, let's not send Lindsey Graham back to Washington for a fourth term. Let's put a Democrat in office in representing this state. But again, it's it's really difficult to take the temperature in this state when. You look at a race that has had a lot of campaign fundraising numbers. It's really eye-popping to look at both sides of the race in terms of the money that's been brought in. Today, DSCC announces they're spending seven figures on this state in the next, what is it, 43, 44 days now until Election Day. So that's a lot of money that's going to be putting a lot more TV ads, a lot more digital ads and giving voters a lot more of the ads and all of the stuff that we've really been seeing here for well over a year now from Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham. But it's it's not election day yet, and that's the one that really matters. And obviously, polls, polls are polls, but the reality is this here. Democrats would not be putting these kind of resources into a South, race in South Carolina if they did not think that this was possible. Uh, what has happened in that state uh, to even even show Harrison running this tight? Is it dissatisfaction with Donald Trump? He won South Carolina by, what, 16 points in 2016? Polling data right now shows he's only up four. Uh, is it the suburbs of South Carolina? What's going on uh, in that state uh, from your perspective? We are seeing a lot of changes in the electorate here in South Carolina. You're absolutely right that Donald Trump had a large margin of victory here. In his last campaign in 2014, Lindsey Graham defeated his Democratic challenger by double digits there as well. But here in South Carolina, particularly in the coastal areas in and around Charleston, there's been an influx of people moving here from places outside the state. South Carolina is lovely. I've lived here and reported on politics for 15 years. And we're seeing a lot of people coming from more politically liberal areas of the country and making South Carolina their home. I'm not saying that South Carolina is going out and out blue in 2020. I'm not going to make that prediction. 
But there are some changes in terms of the voters who now consider themselves South Carolinians and who they're gonna, whom they're going to be supporting in the Senate race, in congressional races like Joe Cunningham, who is trying to defend his flip of that Charleston congressional seat from 2018 and keep it out of Republican hands. So there are a lot of different people who represent the electorate here, and that does represent perhaps some of the mentality of voters saying, well, perhaps we're ready to look more closely at a Democratic candidate statewide than we had before. Uh, but we also saw a massive, massive Democratic turnout in the primary there, higher numbers than what we even saw when Obama ran in 2008, knowing full well that African-Americans make up 50 or some say upwards of 60 percent of Democratic voters. Uh, that, I think, was a telltale sign in terms of how Democrats are fired up in that state about getting rid of Donald Trump and those who support him. There's a lot of interest here. You're absolutely right. The Democratic primary contest, which went on for over two years as far as I was involved with it, gained a lot of attention and was, as you note, a Democratic contest. There wasn't a Republican primary here. So the Democrats really had the stage for well over a year in terms of really making their cases and arguing the party's perspectives on issues. But let's remember, let's think back to the 2016 campaign for the presidential race. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were tied here in South Carolina at that point. So even though we do see these polls of statewide voters tightening, even though Democrats have been pouring a lot of national attention and money into this race, we've seen PACs pop up, including the Lindsay Must Go PAC, which is spending $300,000 just this week on a television ad in the Charleston area trying to make the case against Lindsey Graham. Yes, there is a lot of attention and focus statewide in terms of making that case that Democrats need to represent the statewide, the state statewide, need to go to the Senate, need to perhaps occupy the White House on behalf of South Carolina. So we, you're right, we wouldn't be seeing a lot of that attention if not for the presidential campaign and the very heavily contested primary that we just went through. But this is still South Carolina. A Democrat has not won here statewide in 15 years. So this is still Lindsey Graham's, at this point, his race to lose. African-American, are, are we seeing an increase in black uh, voter registration there? Uh, again, I know um, uh, Jamie Harrison is really depending upon a black support there. Are we Look, a lot of black folks cannot stand Donald Trump. We saw how they helped Joe Biden win and really correct his campaign uh, when he won in February. Are we seeing uh, intensity there among black voters? There is a lot of intens intensity. There is a lot of activity among black voters here in South Carolina. You're right that they do make up most of the Democratic voters here. But obviously, those aren't the only folks who are going to the polls in November. So, yes, Jamie Harrison is focusing intently on black voters in South Carolina. He knows that he needs their support in order to make a strong case against Lindsey Graham. But he doesn't just need black voters. He needs a very broad base of support to oust a three-term Republican incumbent from a Senate seat in South Carolina. So, yes, there's a lot of focus on black voters, but he needs to be broadening that base as well. All right, Meg Kennard, Associated Press. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Anytime.
All right, let's go to my panel, Eric, Erica Savage-Wilson, host Savage Politics Podcast, Dr. Greg Carr, Chair, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, and Reese Colbert, Black Women Views. Uh, folks, uh, we are, uh, look, under 50 days left. Uh, go ahead and pull the graphic up, people, showing how many days left when it comes to this election. 46 days, 46 days before the election. We're already seeing uh, what is happening across the country uh, where Donald Trump and his people are trying to uh, really target uh, voters going after uh, different states, trying to keep them from even uh, having real elections. Uh, go to my iPad, please. Uh, this is the uh, vote.org website where you can check your registration. I need every single one of you to double check your registration. I've had people who watch this show tell me that they had registration cards in their hands and they realized that they had been purged. So every person needs to first check your registration. More than 300,000 people were purged in Georgia. 198,000 of them were in error. Folks, that was the election that determined mm -hmm. uh, that allowed Brian Kemp to beat Stacey Abrams. That was stolen. So we have to understand that. And so uh, I want to start uh, with you, Greg. When we look at in terms of this race in South Carolina, yes, the polls are showing that they are tied right now. But you look at uh, what's happening uh, in North Carolina, where the Democrat uh, Cunningham is up six, six to eight points over Republican Tom Tillis. You look at what's happening in Arizona. Uh, Mark Kelly, he is up 10 points against uh, McSally in Arizona. You look at uh, a 12-point lead by the Democrat uh, over Susan Collins in Maine. You also see Amy McGrath. I think the people of Kentucky should realize they screwed up not uh, not g giving the primary win to Charles Booker. She's down 12 points with all that money that she has down 12 points to Mitch McConnell uh, because, frankly, she's a boring candidate. She's Republican light. But what we're, what we're dealing with here, polls are coming out, even showing Joe Biden doing much better among college-educated white voters in Arizona, in Minnesota, is in Wisconsin. And so what this comes down to, Greg, is pure and simple, like any election, is turnout. Can you turn out more of your people yeah. than the other side? Yeah, you're right, Roman. It's very simple. Um, the polls are lying because many white voters are, are lying. I won't call them liars, but they are lying. The Bradley effect that maybe some of the viewers who are too young to remember the mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley, when polled, it looked like he was up for the election and then he lost that first election because white people lied to the pollsters. So you could ignore the polls. Uh, election day is not the first Tuesday in November. It is the first Tuesday in November in South Carolina because there's no early voting. Right. You got to bring that photo ID. They let you bring your damn concealed carry license, but no student ID. So they've set it up, those white supremacists in that old week, the first state to secede from the Union, South Carolina. However, um, uh, voting day in North Carolina is um, October the 15th. You can vote on the 15th, 16th, 17th, all the way to the 31st of uh, October. Bank the vote. In Arizona, early voting, voting starts on the 7th. So don't think of November, uh, the first Tuesday of November as voting day. Think of the uh, first day, uh, uh, think rather of October the 7th as your voting day. Let's go out here and bank the vote so that all you do in November is all the people that voted, go get the ones that didn't and take them to the poll. Because I don't trust the mail either, frankly. But the point is that Jamie Harrison is behind in South Carolina. Ignore the polls. Vote. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the points yeah. that, that we've been saying, Reese, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, that uh, that you can't depend on polls. 
Polls are important, though, because it gives you a snapshot of where the race is right now. Mike Espy, uh, we had on the show the other day, he uh, tweeted earlier, he is down five points to Cindy Hyde-Smith in Mississippi. I mean, again, if Democrats actually invested money in South Carolina, uh, you uh, excuse me, in Mississippi, that could be closer. Look, he only lost by 68,000 votes when he ran against her in 2018. And so turnout, turnout, turnout. And again, what I need black people. Look, I know that people who watch me who are white and Latino, but here's the deal. Black people, in order for us to affect change, we must maximize our power. It does not make sense in the past what Jamie is trying to do. You had a quarter of a million black people in South Carolina not registered to vote. You had, uh, you've got uh, hundreds of thousands in Georgia. You've got people in Mississippi. Again, this is no time to be sitting on your ass doing nothing. Right. No, I mean, we have no choice. Like, we literally do not have any choice. Um, I'm not a poll truther, so I do believe that the polls can be instructive in terms of, like, for instance, it's a better investment to put money towards Jamie Harrison versus Amy McGrath. I know conventional wisdom, she's a white woman, and, you know, uh, knocking off... Uh, oh, she was, she's, she's a veteran and all this yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah but yeah. she's boring as hell. She's not <laughs> interesting. And right. again, the fact that she uh, spent all that money and barely beat Booker shows her weakness as a candidate. Yeah. Right. And so and so polls can be a gift and a curse. They can be a gift in the case of Jamie Harrison, where it shows a much closer race than anybody would have predicted. I do think that the Democrats, generally speaking, are better positioned than um, than the media would like to make this more of a horse race. But regardless of what the polls say, I will say that the most important thing is banking the votes, as Dr. Carr mentioned. We cannot rely on polls because then you have this group of people that will say, oh, there's no point. This is in the bag. I don't have to waste my time. And then they get to do all these little purity tests and they get to do these ridiculous lesser of two evil kind of calculations where they say, I don't want to, you know, cast my vote. But black people, we have so much at stake. I mean, not just black people, but people across the country. I mean, just today, I don't know if we're going to talk about it. It came out that Donald Trump, the, his administration, stopped the post office from sending out five reusable masks to every single household in this country in early April. Imagine the lives that would have been saved if that kind of information, if that kind of resources would have been sent to every single American household. So the way that our government has been politicized and our public health response has been politicized, this is literally a matter of life and death. This isn't a matter of who you like more. This isn't a matter of personality. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of the economy. If we'll ever war back, Black people have been disproportionately left behind in the so-called economic recovery that's started to happen as the economy has reopened. So we have more at stake than anybody else. If for no other reason for your own self-interest, if for your own survival, you have to vote. And it's not good enough to just say, on November 3rd, I'm going to vote. You have to check your registration. You have to double check it. You have to come up with the voting plan A, B, and C. And if you have it all together, then like you said, um, I don't remember if it was Roland or Dr. Carr, bring somebody with you who hasn't already done all those things. It has to be a collective effort in 2020. Uh, and look, the game of whiteness is being played, Erica. Attorney General Bill Barr attacked Black Lives Matter in a speech yesterday saying they don't really care about black lives. He also, of course, uh, had other ridiculous things to say, even when it came to coronavirus, wearing masks and slavery. The rule of law uh, uh, is uh, the foundation of civilization, including economic prosperity. 
And that's why these so-called Black Lives Matter people, now that as a proposition, who can quarrel with the proposition Black Lives Matter, but they're not interested in black lives. They're interested in, they're interested in props. A small number of blacks who were killed by police during uh, conflict with police, usually less than a dozen a year, who they can use as props to achieve a much broader political agenda. But I view the question of black lives as not only keeping people alive, but also having prosperity and flourishing in their communities. All right, now here's this idiot talking about masks and civil, civil liberties, and he actually invokes slavery. A national lockdown stay-at-home orders is like house arrest. It's, the, it's, the, it's, you know, other than slavery, which was a different kind of restraint, this is the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in American history. Putting a Interesting, national uh, lockdown... Interesting, Erica. Um, I guess he skipped over 1877 uh, to 1970 when we talk about Jim Crow. You know, what's amazing to me, Roland, about Bill Barr, um, as uh, Dr. Carr has named him a toady, when you look at, well, he had that talk that was right across the slave bridge, um, the, the Key Bridge in Arlington, Virginia. And to hear him, first of all, say these people, we already know that he's a white ring, white ring um, supremacist who is very much so wedded to the ideologue of those of that group. Um, so when he says these people, we get that. The other part of it is that Bill Barr is very much so on board with pushing an agenda that destabilizes our democracy and actually takes away the elements of democracy. So that is, in fact, who we're dealing with. We're not dealing with an attorney general. We're dealing with a person who's very much so um, on, um, who has very much said over and over again through many speeches. Um, and here again, he said through um, this stage in Arlington, Virginia, that he really believes that the country should be ran by the person who is supposed to be charged with protecting us against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, and that would be the occupant of the White House. So, you know, hearing this and hearing him compare, uh, you know, wearing a mask to slavery, when we think about chattel slavery and how it affects and still affects us as black Americans, and thinking about um, the trauma to, um, the trauma that uh, we, um, our, our forefathers and foremothers went through to get to this country, the dehumanization, and then think about the systemic racism that really um, came out of that, that cropped up out of that, to hear him compare wearing a mask to that, it makes more sense when we think about those people who stormed state capitals earlier in April, demanding spit out of their mouth, um, fermenting at police officers. They're, those folks at the state capitals demanding that the country be reopened. These are the people that he backs and stands with. So this is, for me, all of the more reason for people to actually gear up and get ready. I know that early vote, well, voting begins in Virginia tomorrow, and that's going to be for people who are participating and being able to put their ballots right. in a secure ballot box. But we've got other cities that are going to be coming up on in-person voting. And as Dr. Carr said, that is what I would encourage people to do. Gear up, right. get your PPE ready, and get ready to vote. Greg, look, what you're dealing with here is this is absolutely... We'll talk a little bit later about Donald Trump's joke of this commission that he announced today because he's so pissed off with the 1619 Project. But 
this is the, I would dare say, this is the most overt appeal to whiteness since George Wallace. I mean, I, I, I really believe that, that, that the most, that what Donald Trump and Bill Barr and Stephen Miller and all the people are doing, that they are making an even more overt appeal to whiteness than Ronald Reagan and Lee Atwater. And that's saying a lot. I would agree with you, Roland. Uh, I would say even more so in some ways than George Wallace. Herbert Hoover, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Lily White uh, uh, um, a faction of the Republican Hoover. Party. Right. That's right. That's right. In fact, you're right, Roland C., you teaching tonight, brother. That's when the GOP really began to turn toward this white nationalism. It wasn't uh, Barry Goldwater in 64. It's really Herbert Hoover, as you say, with the Lily White Republican. Well, Hoover is a representative of that, but that Lily White Republicanism, where they make the decision in the first quarter of the 20th century, really the first third, right, at around the Great Depression, to go for white voters and ignore the black ones. And, of course, it takes a long time to deteriorate by the time you get to Goldwater in the 60s. And then eventually Nixon, even Jackie Robinson, who was, you know, a Republican, said, I can't, you know, you people are racist. I mean, so th th that's exactly right. You know, I, I love Bill Bardo. Love his daddy, who was in the OSS. In other words, his father cut his eye teeth uh, uh, in uh, Donald Barr in this idea of uh, surveillance and state power and state authority, even though his father was a headmaster at a school there in New York. The reason I love Bill Barr is because he's not pretending anymore. You saw him waddling his seat a little bit when he started getting a little comfortable. He waddled in there and then he said, the thing I, you know, these people in their neighborhoods, man, I don't give a damn what you think about me. See, you've made a mistake. You and your little friend, uh, Stephen Miller, and your other buddy, Donald Trump, and Smiling Mike Pence, here's the mistake you've made. You assume because we live in the same country, we share the same values. What the, the, they've overplayed their hand by dropping all pretenses, they are going. They are determined to ride this white nationalist terror ride until the wheels fall off. But here's the mistake they made: they think that that the, the, the uh, lug nuts on those wheels are a lot tighter than they are in fact. And this is why we have to break their political backs. This is not the time to quibble over whether Harris and Biden are the perfect candidates. No. This is the time to recognize that you've got a Klansman sitting on a stage talking about you as if you're not part of his country because you are not part of his country in their neighborhoods. What the hell is this? Are you starting? What are we? We still got restrictive covenants in the You he's not the attorney general of the United States. He's a thug waddling toady for a white nationalist who's president of the United States. And he has committed to one thing and one thing only for the last six months and leading up for the next few days the re-election of his man so they can really show you what they're about. If you don't vote, we're going to see what it is in a minute because this man right here is a white nationalist terrorist. What we what we are dealing with here with this election, uh, Reese, I keep saying you have to leave no doubt. Uh, th there is a clear, blatant attempt, literally as we're sitting here, uh, a federal judge ruled uh, about an hour ago, that Donald Trump and Louis DeJoy, quote, were involved in a politically motivated attack on the efficiency of the Postal Service, and he is issuing an injunction reversing the changes that have led to massive mail delays uh, under DeJoy. That literally came down about an hour or two ago. Uh, and, and what you're dealing with is a, a, there's, a, there's a, a systematic attack on every single front. 
a Trump administration today going after New Jersey, trying to stop them, a state, from counting mail-in ballots early, trying to stop that from happening. They're gearing up. These people, and, and what Bill Barr, Bill Barr, as the Attorney General, believes they can do whatever they want, trying mm -hmm. to charge protesters with sedition. They are, try they are trying to use, and this is what I keep trying to tell people, they have taken power and said, we're going to use it, and you got a Republican Party who doesn't give a damn, is not saying a word, and it's like, hey, man, do whatever y'all want to do. We're good with it. That's why I keep saying hashtag fire Trump in November, hashtag fire GOP in November. I, I have never in my, in, in my, in my life uh, spoken as openly against all Republicans. Right. But what they are doing, I there you you do not have a single profile in courage of a Republican in office. Mitt Romney, eh, he says some stuff every now and then, but I'm talking about somebody standing up saying, hell no, this is not America and this should not be done and damn my party. No, they're all complicit. Absolutely. And I mean, they're leaving no stone unturned. This is an all hands on deck situation. This is an all crooks on deck, all crimes on deck. Every dirty trick that they can pull, they're doing it and they're doing it in plain sight. They're not even being uh, slick about it. They're to a certain degree, they are overplaying their hand because they started some of these tricks early enough to get these court challenges and things like that in motion to try to dial back some of their more obstructionist and suppression tactics. But when you want to talk about props, like Bill Barr is referring to black victims of police violence as props. No, a prop is Donald Trump clearing out protesters in Lafayette Square with tear gas to hold a Bible upside down. That's a prop. When his Department of Justice is stockpiling weapons, considering the use of heat rays, which is absolutely mind-blowing on protesters. As you said, Roland, trying to charge protesters with sedition, which is a crime against the country. This is just an all-out fascist authoritarianism pull that, that Bill Barr is trying to pull. And it really makes you wonder if this is what they're willing to do with the election on the line, knowing that are banking on the fact that enough people are not paying enough attention. They're too distracted by these litmus tests, by these purity tests, by whatever's trending on Twitter that day to pay attention to the blatant fascism that's overtaking our government. Imagine what they will do, feeling like they have a mandate if they were to get reelected. That is the real scary shit that I don't think people, it's not registering to them right now. Uh, I'm still seeing people say, oh, there's no difference between Trump and Biden. Trump is sterilizing immigrants. Barr is, is basically saying your black life doesn't matter. There is a war on black and Latino communities when it comes to coronavirus, when it comes to criminal justice, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to every aspect of our society. There is absolutely unequivocal, worlds apart differences between Trump and Biden, between Pence and Kamala, between what the Trump, uh, what, what the Biden-Harris administration will look like and what we've seen in terms of this white nationalist criminal syndicate masquerading as a presidential uh, administration. Uh, and of course, uh, we're going to get later uh, testimony by the FBI director about white supremacists and how he basically says, 
Y'all, Antifa is not an actual organization. It's an ideology. And so, of course, we've got a jam-packed show for you. You've got to go to a breakdown. We come back. We're going to talk to Dr. Ebony Hilton about coronavirus. Uh, you got the president pretty much saying, uh, oh, no, 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 the CDC director, he doesn't know. He was mistaken. So he was mistaken, and we're supposed to believe you. Then you got dumbass Kevin McCarthy, Republican leader in the House, who says, I trust Trump over the CDC director. And that's why you're a dumbass. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey, I'm Dondre Whitfield of Queen Sugar. You got just one vote. Use it. As our community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice, I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted, which means a potential loss of funding for services that helps folks. We have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please, take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. All right, folks. Uh, listen to anything that comes out of the White House is really a hazard for your health when it comes to coronavirus. I mean, we, we truly see some of the most, some of the dumbest people you've ever seen, uh, especially when you talk about um, uh, coronavirus. So, so yesterday, w w just just watch this dis this discussion here, where uh, idiot was being asked about testimony from the CDC director about wearing masks as well as uh, a vaccine, and of course. This is what the fool had to say. American people trust you on the pandemic when you're contradicting the head of the CDC and you're Because of the great job we've done, because of the great things we've done in other fields also, because of the fact that we created ventilators, we built ventilators by the thousands and now we're supplying to the world, because of uh, all of the incredible work we've done for governors who are on every call saying, this is incredible, this is great, this is great. Sometimes they're not quite as friendly at a news conference when you have people covering it. But we have done a phenomenal job on COVID-19, as they like to call it. Uh, I call it other things. But we have done a phenomenal job. 
I get calls from other people in other countries. They can't believe the job we've done. And then they'll say, is there any way that you could get us ventilators? I say, how? Right. And then, thank you for doing that. And then said herd mentality as if whatever that's supposed to but be. But it also said her mama died of coronavirus and her mama died of breast cancer. He doesn't listen. Honestly, there is something wrong with with Donald Trump, and we all know that at this point. Um, people can choose to ignore it, but when they're ignoring it, literally our country is falling apart in terms of economics. Our country is falling apart in terms of management of this pandemic, and our numbers are literally, we, we are looking to double the number of COVID um, deaths that we have now by December. That's how fast we think this thing is going to tick up during this flu season. And we're playing around. Yeah. Uh, post office, uh, they revealed that they were going to send five masks to every household in America, but the White House nixed it, saying, we don't want to alarm people. <laughs> this is a man who literally said, liberate Virginia, liberate Montana. Um, has called people to arms over the Second Amendment and yet saying he doesn't want to alarm people. Meanwhile, in those same states, so Montana right now, since reopening, has an increase in COVID-19 cases by 5,000%. 5,000. Um, so this whole game that he's playing with not wanting to be up front, we've heard the tapes from Bob Woodward. We know that Trump knew as far back at least as, as March and, and February how deadly COVID-19 was. So his playing around with these words and, and promoting and, and asking people to take off their mask, to me, that should be criminally investigated because that sounds like attempted murder <laughs> when we have a mortality rate of 2.9%. Um, so yeah, we need to start holding people accountable. And that's where I'm confused is where are the checks and balances in our country. Um, we are, we're in a situation now where of the, of the uh, children who have died, 75% are minority. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still looking at, now you got the Big Ten, they've uh, decided to go ahead and play sports, even though we've seen athletes uh, coming down with coronavirus. You get the LSU head coach, Ed Ogeron, who said uh, most of his team got coronavirus, and then says, well, we don't really know if, well, they, I guess if, if they, they got it, and then they likely are not gonna get it again. I don't know who the hell he's talking to. Uh, and it's just, and, and when you see all these people, Trump and others putting pressure, saying, no, we got to have football, and, 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 and then basically browbeating the university doctors into supporting the position. And that's what I don't understand, because the only person I fear is um, God and my mama. That's it. So you're not going to browbeat me to say something that I know is wrong. And at this point, COVID-19 has not changed its position. So my stance has not changed from the very beginning. Um, literally, if you go to my YouTube channel back in April, I think I did a, um, a post that I said with children, do not let your children go out. Kids, I feel like they can get infected. We have not seen the full brunt of what COVID-19 can do. And sure enough, now what are we seeing? We're seeing our children getting involved. Early on, people were saying, oh, the kids aren't being touched. Well, we had them in our homes. But now people have got comfortable, and they're taking them to the amusement park, and they're taking them to football games. And we're seeing in studies that the ultimate end is if someone dies. But again, I've said this time and time again on your show, that we have a, a subset of people who've recovered 
who now have permanent damage to their brain and that they're having strokes. They have permanent damage to their heart and that they're going into heart failure. They have permanent damage to their kidneys and now they are dialysis dependent for the rest of life. Um, they've had blood clots in their legs or their arms and now they've had amputation of those limbs. So this recovered and this, this oh, they didn't die. Their life is forever changed. And we're seeing that demographic of people get younger and younger. As you stated um, with the athletes, I think it was the University of Pennsylvania, um, they had of their athletes who tested positive for COVID-19, 30 to 35% of them, when they did a scan of their heart, showed inflammation of the heart. The incoming freshman quarterback for Georgia State, 18 years old, cannot play this year because he has complications associated with his heart related to COVID-19. The pitcher for the Red Sox, um, he also cannot play because he has heart issues now related to COVID-19. And what does that mean for your life longevity? If you start to have heart issues at the age of 20, what's the likelihood of you actually living to see the age of 60? It's, it's an uphill battle, and we have to get serious about this disease. Uh, earlier this week, we had Dr. Walter Kimbrough, who is the president of Dillard University on. And, the pre and he and the president of Xavier University uh, were encouraging their students, faculty, and alumni to participate in the vaccine trials. Those two are doing it as well. I've had a lot of black people say, oh, my goodness, this is wrong. We shouldn't be involved in doing anything with, quote, Trump's vaccine. Uh, you're, and he, and he, and, but Kimbrough said it's important that we participate because we need to understand how the health of African-Americans works in conjunction with this vaccine, especially those people who have, might have lupus, who might have diabetes, different medication. Uh, your, your take on that. Right. And, it, and I can completely, let me say for the record, I understand where black people have a distrust for medicine. We have been lied to. Um, we've been tested on. We know about Tuskegee. We know about Flint, Michigan water crisis that's happening still today. So I completely understand. But I have to agree with them on this one. Um, one thing I can say, even though we've seen some shakiness with the handling of the CDC, when it comes down to being pushed and for them to stand up for truth, Dr. Fauci has gone against what Trump has said and said, this is what science is and this is what we're going to do. And here of late, Dr. Redfield has also said, I don't care what Trump is saying, masks are important. So I'm, I'm hopeful that the foundation of science is, is, is at least showing the American public that we're trying to right what we've done wrong in the past. And that being said, we if you look at China, you look at Russia, right now they're pushing out a vaccine that hasn't completed all phases of the trials. Um, that I don't agree with. Now, with what we're using, we're actually going through the phases, which helps to ensure that we do have a safe um, drug to use. Now, in saying that diversity of patients and diversity of people that are going to go through this trial is important because we do need to know how does it interact with the different genes that black people and white people, although we are 99.9% .9 the same, there is some variability, right? And so we want to see how does it infect and, and impact our, our citizens, our black people, so that when we do this for our kids and those who may be more at risk, that it's as safe as possible for them. So, yes. Questions for our panel. I'll start with Erica Savage-Wilson. Erica, a question from Dr. Ebony Hilton. Yeah. Hi, Dr. Hilton. Um, my question to you is when you were speaking about those athletes that were 
um, infected with this injury of the heart. Um, it's myo something. Um, I, I cannot pronounce all of it, but um, I think the percentage was like 30 to 35 percent of student athletes that were impacted by this this heart um, trauma, so to speak, heart muscle trauma. Could you talk to um, everyone a little bit more about? I know you talked about you know them and you know becoming turning 60 years old, what the likelihood of that would look like. But could you talk about some of the students that are still very much so, um, they're student athletes, they're very much so inspired to play football. What are, what is the, some different avenues that they could take? Would it be just taking a year off? Um, would it be just waiting until there's a COVID vaccine? Um, because usually, you know, kids at this age aren't looking long-term. What kind of advice would you offer to those athletes um, or to their parents that maybe are um, being able to um, subsidize it, um, what it would cost for them to be able to send their kids to college through these scholarships? You know, and I very much appreciate that, um, that question because I remember when I was 18, 19, 20, um, I felt invisible, invincible, like there was nothing that I couldn't overcome. But this is a totally different ball game when it comes down to this disease. And so I even pushed the parents um, and, the, and the sponsors and donors to these colleges to have some type of um, stance to say, we're going we're gonna to speak up for children that when we know when we were their age, we may not have made the right decision. Because what we know is that with these athletes that are um, now showing inflammation of the heart, the majority of them were either very, very mild symptoms or they were asymptomatic. The same thing is being shown. There was a study out of Germany where there, six out of every 10 patients that had mild symptoms and were asymptomatic, when they did an MRI of their heart, they showed inflammation of the heart. What does that do for the longevity and the, um, the incidence of heart failure that we should see? And right now in America, pre-COVID, we had the highest incidence of heart failure in the world. So I can only imagine what's going to happen to us with this large scale of people. Um, so what I would tell the athletes is you don't realize how much power you have. If you all, we see that we see the Black Lives Matter protests and, and the WNBA, how they walked out and they have the shirts on that says Black Lives Matter. If all the athletes of the colleges band together and say, our lives matter too, and we don't want to die. We've seen athletes now that are that are dead. Okay. Um, they will not graduate. Um, we we see athletes that are now sick and they have heart conditions. You don't have to be the next one. And you do have a voice and you are important and you do matter um, more than just bringing money into a school where the coaches make money on your back. And yet they are OK with you breathing face to face as you're that defensive lineman um, with someone else who may have this disease. It's not right. Um, and we need you. So, yeah, use your voice. Question, Reese Colbert. Hi, Dr. Hilton. So good to see you. Um, you know, one of the things that troubles me is this whole notion that um, the Trump versus Biden administration, Biden-Harris administration, really wouldn't make a difference. We've seen that Trump believes that he's done a good job with coronavirus. We see that his silver bullet that he believes is a vaccine, which he's lied about the timing of it. With the Biden-Harris administration, they have the Coronavirus Russian Ethnic Disparities Task Force that's part of something they'll implement. How important do you think it is in terms of the black community, the Latino community, people of color, 
And having an administration that really understands that racial and ethnic disparities have to be tackled as part of the coronavirus response, rather than an administration that just believes that may the best, may the strongest survive and eventually will get to herd immunity, herd immunity, and it doesn't matter how many people die in the process, particularly if they're black and Latino. Right. And you know, Rizzi, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I know you've always been on top of it and promoting what Harris's plan is in particular, um, as she relates to health disparities, particularly for black women. There's mm -hmm. nothing that comes out of Trump's administration that speaks to all the factors that play into why black people and brown people are more likely to be infected in the first place and die in the first place. And to, to just drive this home, at this point in time where Donald Trump is saying we're going to rely on herd mentality. And what he meant by that was herd immunity um, to basically allow a, lar a large group of people to get infected so that it can protect certain pockets of us. In order to do that, 60 percent of our nation would have to be infected. And right now we have a, a, a mortality rate of around 2.96 percent, meaning that if 60 percent of our population were to get infected, we would have to be willing for at least two to, to four million people dying. That's what he's willing to sacrifice. And black and brown people, if that many people are dying right now, we are seeing that you are dying at two to three times your population rate. So we will be the ones that's, that's carrying the heavy burden of sacrificing our lives to keep this administration in play. And my question is, what are we gaining from that? There's nothing that's worth your life. If right now, I'll give you a number. If right now, black people died at the same rate that white people died from, from COVID-19, there will be 19,500 black people still alive today. 19,500. Hmm. And he is okay. He is okay with that. And that's our mothers, that's our fathers, that's our children. The, this should not be happening. And yet he's playing golf while we're not even allowed to bury our family members. It's, it's tragic. Question, Dr. Greg Carr for Dr. Ebony Hilton. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Roland. I'm still shaking my head thinking about that. Dr. Hilton, thank you for your work. And as a member of our community, you know, back in the spring, I had a frank conversation with President Howard, uh, the medical doctor, Wayne Frederick, and he gave it to me straight. And it's pretty much played out the way he thought it would play out in terms of school shutdown. Walter Kimbrough, President Dillard is my friend. I understand brother says he's going to volunteer for the vaccine. So I understand he's trying to game this out. He's not a medical doctor, but he's got the courage to say, look, I'll put it in my arm because we got to save some lives and I'll be willing to go. Let me ask you, as a member of our community, um, if, you had to, if you had to make a prediction, are we going to be back physically in the classroom in January 2021, or do you see this thing, at least in terms of education, K-12 and or university, keeping us indoors through the spring semester? Man, y'all ain't going back till fall 2021. Everybody go ahead. <laughs> but she's the medical professional. That's right. All right, why? why? She, about to, she about to agree with me. Go ahead, Ebony. Right, because again, Rolly, you know, my stance has not changed. No, these schools are going to have to shut down. I'll give you an example. Just this Tuesday, in so I'm from South Carolina, if you can't um, understand my accent. But um, just this Tuesday, there was an additional 414 cases 
from schools alone for COVID-19. Of that, 240-odd um, were students and 140 were, were teachers. We had two weeks ago a 28-year-old teacher die from COVID-19. Um, it's one of these things of we just have to remember our children, they are beautiful creatures. They don't wash their hands. They sneeze and think it's fun. Um, they're not going to keep on masks, and they share everything, including COVID-19. And there was this, this idea that, oh, well, children can't transfer that to other um, to other members. But we just saw, I think it was in Oregon, um, they showed how there was this outbreak related to one school where kids were getting infected and taking it back home to their parents. And one parent has now been hospitalized related to it. We aren't ready. We aren't ready. We don't have the same things that we were talking about back in, in March and April that we need to have in place as far as the testing, the tracing, and the treatment. We don't have any of those three Ts, not one. Um, as far as the testing even, the amount of tests that we're doing right now is about three, 30 million, I think, a month. We need upwards of 300 million a month in order to keep this thing contained. Um, yeah, and we're seeing now, as far as our kids with schools, two weeks ago, we had 500,000, half a million children positive for COVID-19. I can only imagine what that's going to be here within the next couple of weeks um, with all the schools opening. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not, I understand schools are important outside of, of just the learning aspect, which is huge. My sister is a, um, a principal of an elementary school, so we talk about this often. I know the socialization is important and the mental health of our children is important. I know that some kids have, uh, unfortunately, food insecurity where the only food they get is at school. But we shouldn't risk their lives because we haven't been willing as adults to fix those policies, and we still can fix them now. We have... FEMA. We have emergency uh, money that can be used to figure out a better way because right now our children are becoming more and more infected. Um, there's been an increase in hospitalizations over this summer as far as children, upwards of 300% um, of kids having to go into the hospital. And guess who's going into the hospital? You're five times more likely to be hospitalized if you're a black child and you're eight times more likely to be hospitalized if you're a Hispanic child in comparison to if you're a white with COVID-19. We cannot sacrifice them. I'm not willing to do that. All right. Dr. Ebony Hilton, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much uh, for your knowledge. And, uh, you know, you've been a little uh, salty with some people on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you, you've been this, this whole week. I'm like, Lord, uh, she need a nap. You just been snapping on folk. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me. Yeah, I, 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 I think between you and Reese, I don't know who was snapping more this week. Look, I didn't mess with anybody. They kept coming on my page messing with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good to see you. All right, Bye good to see you as well. All right, folks, an officer with the Salt Lake Police Department was charged with aggravated assault for ordering his dog to attack a black man who had his hands up. The Salt Lake County District Attorney's Office filed the charge against Officer Nicholas Pierce following a review of the April 24th incident that was first brought to light after the Salt Lake Tribune published body camera footage of the attack on 36-year-old Jeffrey Ryans. Watch. Yeah, 
Cam footage shows that even though Ryans was kneeling on the ground with his hands in the air, the canine officer still ordered his dog to attack. In California, folks, uh, another crazy story here. The California Police Officers Association in a two-minute political video clearly showed an image of a crosshair symbol over the face of black state assembly member Reggie Jones Sawyer. The video was widely circulated on Facebook before it was deleted. The organization is supporting a candidate who is running against Jones Sawyer in the November general election. Here's some of that video. CCPOA is prepared to take the lead and speak the loudest. We're going to demand that the increased violence and assaults on peace officers are addressed and the perpetrators are held accountable to the highest degree. And these are the people... Erica, who Donald Trump says, oh, 99% of the cops are great. I love them. They're wonderful. Yeah, because they've been infiltrated um, and by white domestic terrorists. You know, in the video that we saw of the gentleman in Salt Lake City, that really takes back for me kind of thinking about eyes on the prize, watching that in middle school and in high school, and in seeing dogs that were sicked on children, black children, black women and black men um, in Birmingham in the 1960s. And here we are again. And were it but for body cam, we would only have this man who went through a traumatizing event against that of law enforcement officer, which has really um, been given to the American public that these are individuals that we should trust, even though they continue to prove with the state-sanctioned murders that they continue to commit year after year, that there really is no trust within that uh, organization. So this is why defund the police is uh, really uh, something that we should all become familiar with, understanding that it is about moving resources into more community efforts because, you know, they have the backing of the son of a Klansman the person that is supposed to be the leader of what was, a, at some point, a free world. And then the backing of a U.S. attorney general, who you played the clip earlier, who could really care less about black lives and talks about black people very openly and publicly as these people. So what we're seeing on the video that you just showed out of California with these police organizations that continue to fan the flames, who continue to um, disrupt because they really don't have anybody that calls them out, so to speak, that they can behave in this ways. These, this is more evidence really for people to get out and turn out to vote um, because also uh, what it shows is that these organizations will not do well until there is a massive public outcry and national leadership that will help to uh, rein them in. Uh, Greg, when you have a, when you have this police, this correctional association, putting the crosshairs on a state assemblyman, 
again, they're making it perfectly clear where they stand, and there's a reason why they love Donald Trump. They want to be thugs. They want to be supported by thugs, and they want to beat the hell out of people with impunity. And a lot of people have not paid attention to this. In that town hall, when Donald Trump talked about Portland, oh, yeah, I got people. This could be taken care of in 30 seconds. And, you know, what he wants is, and I have sat at the table with Donald Trump and listened to him talk about cops like that, Donald Trump wants to unleash, and that's why I keep to all, you got to be a stupid-ass fool to be voting for Donald Trump. If y'all think he's been a thug the first four years, what this man wants to unleash on black America, y'all ain't seen nothing yet if he wins in November. Greg? No, you're right, Roland. There's going to be a confrontation. As Donald Trump, apparently, if we can trust our eyes as we watch him, I know you're going to talk about his, his things talking at the birthday of the Constitution later, but um, if we can trust our eyes, as he, as he seemingly rots from the inside, as he models and, and disassembles, as he kind of turns into jelly in front of us, um, his stormtroopers, and they're not really his stormtroopers. This is how these people have always felt. As you said, unleashed is the, unleashed is the perfect word, Roland, because when we think of leashes, we think of dogs. And so when you see this officer uh, who joined the K-9 unit apparently around 2011, who's been featured in articles out there in Utah for being so proud of being in the K-9 unit, we hear him say, good boy, good boy, as he's biting the brother. His brother's like, what the fuck, what happened? You know, I'm reminded of a, <laughs> oh, an elder an elder of mine who's now an ancestor, Nomo X, in Columbus, Ohio. He used to do a presentation. We had him come over to the Black Culture Center at Ohio State, and he would do a presentation called The African Holocaust. And, and he would show pictures mm. of dogs biting civil rights mm. protesters as Eric, as you just said, sis, those eyes in the prize stills. And he would pause yeah. it and he would yeah. say to the students, maybe several hundred of us there, and he'd say, I'm going to tell y'all something right now. Always, always kill that dog. And then we would all cheer. And I, I, I'm reminded of that at a moment like this. Yeah. Always. Kill yeah. that dog. And Malcolm X, you know, you say, I'm sorry, dog, but you might have to be collateral damage. See, and then when you look at those cops with the bullseye on a brother who has an uncle who was one of the Little Rock Nine, that brother in the state assembly, you know, Malcolm X said he got two-legged dogs and four-legged dogs. And, and here's what Donald Trump is going to find out as he wastes away in his ill-fitting suits and as the, the clear dissolution of his physical <laughs> form fills up those suits to overflow, as we see. He's going to find out he doesn't have enough thugs. He's no thug. He's a studio gangster. And the ones that think they're thugs, <laughs> how many other dogs they have, are going to come up against some people, particularly some of these young people, might be some of them young people whose frontal lobe hasn't closed enough to realize they shouldn't be playing football. Mm. They're going to bite the right one. And the words of normal X are going to be made flesh. And some dogs going to die in this country. Reese. <laughs> um... It's, it's always hard to follow up on, from Dr. Carr. No. Uh, but I will say, I mean, this is the system um, operating as designed. You know, Donald Trump is a person who, in one of his presidential, so-called presidential rallies, uh, 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 actually encouraged the police to rough up people that they were protest uh, that they were arresting. So this is the kind of violence that the that Donald Trump and the Republicans actually encourage from these police officers also known as slave patrols because they're 
purpose is to inflict violence and terrorists, terrorism on black and brown communities. So this is exactly what's to be expected. I mean, to call yourself law and order like Donald Trump likes to call himself or to be a correctional officer and then uh, put a crosshair over a black elected official, that what, how, what part of law and order is that? But it's not about law and order. It's about the order of white supremacy and keeping black people with uh, their boots on our necks. And so for whatever purity test people have in terms of, you know, um, criminal justice reform, let me remind people that Donald Trump's first act with, with Jeff Sessions was to roll back Obama-era protection or, or reforms when it comes to drug charges. Jeff Sessions said, charge people as harshly as possible and seek the longest sentences as possible. This year, William Barr uh, launched Operation Legend, which conveniently targeted primarily black and brown communities with these multi-agency um, organizations where they swooped into this community met and, and arrested thousands of people. So there is a war in our communities, not just happening at the local police level, but Got with it. the help and assistance of the federal government and, and bars DOJ. All right, folks, got to go to a break. Uh, we come back. Strange in Tennessee, a longtime black Democrat out of Memphis, excuse me, out of Nashville, he is removed from his position by the state Democratic Executive Committee because he's pro-life. We'll talk to him next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Hi, I'm Shanice. You got just one vote. So use it. these virtual reality headsets you see right there in the video there folks uh, you can place your uh, cell phone right in watch the virtual reality content on seat.com or other 360 degree video you can also listen to of course the 360 degree 4d headphones which is great for gaming video audio you name it if you want to get uh, either one of these go to seek.com c-e-e-k.com c-e-e-k.com use the promo code rmvip2020 rmvip2020 uh and uh do so and so we certainly appreciate them being a supporter of us right here at roland martin unfiltered all right, folks, uh, Representative John DeBerry Jr. had always represented his Memphis State House District in Tennessee as a Democrat. Um, he's, we don't have him yet. All right, folks, we, I thought we had him as a guest. Uh, so, let me, uh, so let me just do this here. I'm, I'm going to push that story uh, and, uh, and go to uh, this next story. And that is, um, you know what? We'll do this in here. Let me just do it right. I'll go ahead and do it right now. All right. So y'all let me know when he's on the phone. I'll talk with him about the panel. Again. He's representing this district, y'all, for 28 years. This year, though, he's going to be running as an independent 
because the Democratic Party Executive Committee decided to remove him because of his pro-life beliefs. According to the Executive Committee, one of the members was quoted as saying that, well, because he's an incumbent, those who ran against him didn't have the money necessary to, to run against him, and they did not believe that the people in his district fully understood that he was pro-life. Um, Greg, you're from Tennessee. This is... Um, I don't give a damn what your position is, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. For, for an executive committee to remove a duly elected official because he is pro-life, that means you are depriving the people who have voted for him of representation, of him representing them. Yeah, you know, Roland, we know what this is, brother. We know what this is. I mean, let's be clear. Here's a black man. He's Church of Christ minister. I got a lot of people in my family, Church of Christ. I love them. Um, of course, they're my people. Until people understand that we have a full range of opinions, you know, there are a lot of people in, in black communities who are um, against a woman's right to choose to terminate a pregnancy. I won't use the language pro-life or pro-choice because those aren't correlative. Um, you know, if DuBerry wants to take that position, that's his position. And I'm sure, and, and I assume it's a position of conviction. And, you know, DeBerry is a famous name in Tennessee politics. Lois DeBerry was in the, 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 the uh, Tennessee legislature when I was an undergrad out of Memphis. So John DeBerry is, a, you know, his famous name. You know, these Democrats need to understand that in order to uh, have our people still vote Democrat got to be able to accommodate that type of opinion. Now, we don't all have to agree with it. I myself, I believe, I, 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 it's not about my personal beliefs about whether a woman should be able to term a preg terminate a pregnancy or not. My belief is the state is not the same as our personal beliefs. If I don't have the right to tell another human being what to do in a situation like that. But if DeBerry wants to mix his faith and his politics, that's who he is. And the Democratic Party in Tennessee is underwater anyway. So I don't know what the hell they think they're doing by doing that to him. This is, um, th this is, uh, look, the reality is this here, uh, Reese. There are pro-life Democrats. There are pro-choice Democrats. I do not believe that the issue of choice or life should be a determinant as to whether or not you run as a Democrat. And to remove this man from the position, that just, I don't care, that is idiotic to me that that's the decision that would be made. Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't agree with his um, political ideology in this case. However, the bottom line is that he was elected. Um, if people did not primary him, it's, it, if, if they chose not to run against him because he was well-funded or he was an incumbent, that's on them. I think each politician, it's incumbent upon them to uh, run on their platform and get the votes that they need to get elected. And so I think this is kind of usurping the will of the people and trying to, you know, impose an ideological uh, purity test on somebody that is against what people have already voted for. So I don't agree with that. I do believe that the Democrat, uh, the Democratic Party is a big tent party, even if I don't agree with everything that somebody says. And, and to me, I think choice, anti-choice, however, whichever language you want to use, 
goes beyond just a difference of an opinion because ultimately what you do with your ideology, if that if that actually translates to trying to block contraception or block funding for Planned Parenthood or a number of things that go under the so-called pro-life or, or anti-choice banner comes into play. Hold but the bottom line is if you won your election, if the, your constituents voted for you, then they have a right to that representation. Uh, Representative DeBerry on the phone. Can you hear me, sir? Uh, guys, pull up the audio, please. Yes, uh, Representative Bear, one second. Hold on one second. Guys, pull his audio up. Representative Barry. Um, we're trying to uh, trying to sit here, and um, so can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, so guys, are you hearing the control room? All right, just hold on one second. Hold on one second. I am going to, let's see if. Okay, uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to call you back on another line uh, in just one second. We're going to call you uh, right now to get your audio, okay? Uh, so uh, we're going to talk to you in just a second. Uh, I, I want to get them on because I think, I think you know, this, this, is, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, you got Republicans whose whole position is they don't like pro-choice Republicans. That, 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 that's their take. They don't like pro-choice Republicans. Um, but it makes no sense because what you... All right, now we have him here. Representative Barry? Can you hear yes. me, sir? All right, so... I'm here. All right, we got yes. you. All right, so, um, you, so you've been pro-life all of these years, and so all of a sudden the decision was made to remove you. How did they arrive at the conclusion that they have the power to to remove you from the ballot because of a because you're pro-life. Well, um, members of my opponent's executive team are members of the executive board or made the complaint to the executive board. So folks who work for my opponent did the complaint and pushed the complaint through. And uh, so they they have the right of uh, using a provision in the law which has never been used in this fashion before to disassociate themselves with me and they removed me from the ballot after I had qualified by having members of my community sign my petition, members of my constituents. Uh, they disqualified me uh, after the filing, filing deadline and um, so I could not run as a Democrat or a Republican. I, I read this one story where one of the executive committee members said that that, that, your, that your constituents were unsure or they did not really know about your position. Really? They have run, they have run against me three consecutive elections, putting everything out there. Three Democratic opponents have run against me talking about my uh, uh, my uh, uh, disagreement with them, with the Democratic Party on abortion and on several other issues. So there is no way that my district could be misinformed or uninformed upon where I stood. And not only this, they had the audacity to say that the people in my district basically didn't have sense enough to elect their representative. They had to do it for them because they weren't informed enough uh, to make that decision. So we talk about a bunch of folks who probably have never set foot in District 90 making a decision for District 90. 
You um, you have led uh, the Coleman Avenue Church of Christ in Memphis for the last 20 years. Um, and uh, this is the uh, position that you've taken. Now, is this the only issue they, they, they have with you? I mean, do they appreciate you voting for them on other issues? And just on this one, you just happen to be pro-life? Well, I have, I have stood with them on many issues uh, that are procedural and, and some, some uh, issues that have to do with policies. So that's, that has never been the problem of me just being um, a radical against, against, the, uh, against the Democratic Party. This was the fact that they have run three consecutive elections against me. They have run three strong opponents, have financed them extremely well, and I still won by anywhere between 65 and 70 percent. The only thing they had left was to remove me from the ballot. So they had a, an individual here again that was a member of the staff of my opponent file a, file a complaint, and they voted on the complaint with, with 48 hours notice in a Zoom meeting in the middle of a pandemic. They removed a 13-term incumbent who has been reelected by his district uh, on a Zoom meeting. Uh, I'm reading this story here, and it said that the executive committee had a responsibility, quote, to confirm the, the legitimacy of an individual representing themselves to be a Democrat. They're, this is quoting Kendra Lee, a 32-year-old black Democratic activist and committee member from Memphis. She said, quote, there was, right. was never a question of morals or character. This is very much straight down the line as to your responsibilities as a Democratic elected official. So are, are they saying that in order for you to be a Democrat, you absolutely must be pro-choice. Yes, they, they absolutely say that I must be pro-choice. And according to them, uh, Democratic policy, somewhere along, they said, and I quote, the Democratic Party has evolved. And I'm, I'm hearing some other voices. I don't know if you can hear them. No, we're but fine. the Democratic Party has, has evolved and uh, that uh, I didn't evolve with it. And because of this, because this is their policy, this is their stand, I'm either pro-choice or I am not a Democrat. And it was argued during the meeting that they were shrinking the tent. The so-called all-inclusive party was excluding the one conservative Democrat in the entire state who is elected to the House of Representatives. But, so but you're, you're saying that... Go ahead, go yes, ahead, sir. go ahead, no, go ahead, go ahead. So, so they're, they're saying that there wasn't room in the entire legislature for one conservative Democrat. But here's the deal, though. Uh, I wouldn't even use the phrase conservative Democrat. There are a lot of African Americans who are very liberal, who simply, because of their moral convictions and their religion, are pro-life. Uh, they don't call themselves conservative. Oh, exactly. Now, now, according to uh, the, right. the according to the right. according to the Tennessean, other members said that you took money from a Republican-aligned political action committee, that you voted for school vouchers, and that you voted for a Republican as House Speaker in 2019. Well, here's here's the thing. First of all, 
everybody up there votes with Republicans. There are only 25 Democrats out of 99 in the House. It takes 25, it takes 27 Republicans and every Democrat for a Democrat to pass a bill on the floor of the House. So everybody up there votes with Republicans. As far as the speaker was concerned, they all caucus and called me, one of the, one of the chairs of the Democratic uh, 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 caucus, uh, called me, a delegation called me and said, we are all going to stand together behind the speaker. We're going to all vote. We're going to start this year off good and in harmony. And they called me and said, we're going to vote for the speaker. I said, are you sure about this? They said, yes, we're all going to vote for the speaker. So I called the speaker and asked him. And the speaker said, oh, yes, that uh, it was We've already worked out our differences, and we're going to start the year off. We're going to bring in all the former speakers. The ceremony was set. On the way into the door to vote, they said, we changed our mind. I said, you did what? We changed our mind. We're going to run somebody. Now, knowing you only have 25, you can't. There is no way that you can possibly do this unless 27 or 28 or 29 Republicans vote for a Democrat for speaker. So why would you do this? And why would you expect me to spend political capital in order to just make a show that they wanted to make on that day? And everybody up there uh, uh, gets money from Republicans and Democrats and whoever makes a donor, uh, whoever uh, gives them money. So all of that's just a bunch of hooey that they threw in there. And the voucher issue, in the voucher issue, the look, there are there are black people, there are Democrats who support school choice. I had that. I was I was uh, fighting for school choice before it was cool. Before the Republicans took over the legislature, I put in school choice bills. I have put in school choice bills for almost twenty years. So everybody knew where I was on vouchers, on educational scholarships, and busloads of black folks, busloads of African Americans come to Nashville every year begging for school choice, and they've just been ignored. All right. Uh, Representative John DeBerry Jr., uh, so you're running as an independent in uh, November, correct? Yes, that is correct. I'm running as an independent. That's all I had left. It was done in such a way that, as I said earlier, that the petition, that uh, the complaint was filed after the filing deadline. So when it was filed, I could not run as a Democrat or as a Republican. The only thing, the only option I had when they finished doing their vote of taking me off the ballot was to run as a write-in. That's uh, a shot in the dark. We all know this. Got it. But my colleagues, both Democrat and Republican, voted for a bill and a change in the law that if an incumbent has been removed from the ballot after they have qualified, they can run as an independent. All right. Representative DeBerry, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. I thank you for having me on today. All right, folks, we did reach out to uh, try to track down some members of the executive committee. We're going to try to get uh, one of them on tomorrow because, Erica, I really would like to hear an explanation uh, because yeah. I, I do believe it's, it's fundamentally unfair. I don't care. Here's the deal. If you, want, if you want to be pro-choice and run as a Republican, I got no issue. If you want to be pro-life, 
I got no issue. If you want to be pro-choice or pro-life as a Democrat, I got no issue. The voters are the ones who should decide who represents them. Yeah, and I think one of the most surprising things to hear um, Representative talk about was that when he said that <laughs> there are 25 members of their, um, of, um, of their assembly, 25 members of the Democratic Party um, in that um, that in that capital, as opposed to 99 Republicans. So they're definitely outgunned. So thinking about then some of the um, bills that he voted on, that definitely they had to cross the aisle because they really didn't have a choice. They're a small percentage of that entire um, capital body. And so to understand kind of where we are right now, and then that Democrats, people with, that carry Democrat, would actually exercise this type of coup, so to speak, um, is really surprising, especially given that this story was picked up on The Federalist. And so this is a story now that has been running for um, a few weeks on The Federalist page. This does not bode well, even though this is um, very much so relegated to that particular area. This does not bode well for the entire Democrat Party. I mean, because when you think about the way that this can really be teased out, to say, in fact, that Democrats um, are not the big tent party that they were um, once were considered and that they're actually moving out people who don't really fit the bill and then that it be a black lawmaker is is very troubling. So I'm really interested in finding out, um, although he said that he's going to be running as an independent, is there any litigation that will be involved? Um, interested because they did, in fact, have another person that passed away in October of last year, a state representative who they, and, um, that they, in fact, said that caucus with Republicans, that he said things that were not flattering um, about the Democratic Party on a hot mic, um, um, a black gentleman that passed away in October of last year. Got it. So I'm just wondering if it was just something that they'd experienced through him, that they said that they were just really going to cut off at the knees anyone that did not um, do as they all wanted them to do, all so right. to speak. Well, I can't wait to, uh, again, talk to a member of the executive committee. I would love to get their perspective uh, on this decision. All right, folks, uh, now it's time for uh, a new segment. We're going to do a weekly education segment uh, called Education Matters. It's sponsored by uh, My School Choice is a Black Choice Initiative. Uh, and what this is all about is covering all different areas of education. And uh, this week, we're looking at, obviously, schools reopening. Now, as we discussed, black and minority students are dying from coronavirus more than any other race. Uh, Donald Trump and U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos are determined to reopen the nation's schools for, for full-time in-person learning. Now, while parents would like to see their children back in school, there are concerns. Joining us now to talk about this is Rand Miller, director of the 21st Century Community Learning Center, and Keturah Butler-Reed, president of Albany State University. How y'all doing? Hello. I'm doing really good. Lord, there are parents who are cussing left and right. Uh, they are not happy with where they are. Many there are school districts, frankly, they were unprepared to go full uh, virtual learning. You also are seeing in some cities where uh, more than one-third of the students are not even logging on. How in the world are, can we really move forward in this international pandemic, dealing with COVID-19, and we are seeing that problem, that number of kids, 30 to 40 percent, some places even higher, not even logging on. I was reading one story where there was this was one teacher 
was trying to communicate with one of her students and to get her uh, and was trying to literally holding up notes because the young girl did not know how to unmute her computer. And she was asking her, are there any adults around? And the young girl is shaking her head. Um, we, we got a problem right now when it comes to virtual learning in America. Yeah, well, I think the problem is, is that we had an opportunity to fix this at the very beginning of this whole situation in March. And school districts were more concerned with opening up, whether it was pressure due to the president of the United States. But they had an opportunity to really fix this. And unfortunately, they just came back to school saying, hey, we're open, we're ready. And they weren't ready. Not to mention there's so much pressure put on uh, students, particularly students of color. You're asking students who, you know, have their videos on, we're going to give you a suspension if you're not uh, with your video on. Uh, you're, you're asking to come into students' homes uh, without their sort of their permission, the permission of their parents. Uh, so there's a lot of different challenges going on. And, and one of the things that I'm not seeing is the compassion and certainly not the preparedness upon school districts. But, but, but uh, Couture, the reality is that uh, we had a Montgomery, Alabama school board member on a few months ago who said, look, we just don't have the money for the laptops for all the students. Uh, and, and you're right. There are people who thought the schools were going to reopen. They thought listening to the White House that, hey, by June, by July, we would be uh, over the hunt when it comes to coronavirus. That's not the case as well. And so now we're faced with a situation where you have no choice. I mean, look, uh, my, my niece uh, is a sophomore at Howard University. Uh, she in Houston. So, hey, she's living with us because the thought was uh, they would be going classes online and then having some classes having having one or two classes uh, in person. Hey, she got here. They said, no, no classes on campus at all. That's on a college. Now we start talking about high school, middle school, elementary school. You're really trying to get, it's just, it, it's complete upheaval. And frankly, it's showing the difference between the haves and the have nots when it comes to resources. Yeah, there. I mean, there there are a number of, of problems with this whole thing. I mean, we know that the students don't have the resources. We saw what happened in Philadelphia, uh, where uh, you know there were a number of students who couldn't get on, and a number of students who weren't provided what it was that they needed. And a lot of this is an issue of of you know the haves versus the have-nots, like you said. And we need folks to step up, and not just. Uh, school districts, but the community, the stakeholders to step up and really say, we're going to support students. But the reality is, is that what I'm finding is that black parents in particular are saying, listen, we understand that there may be some issues going on and there are some problems, but this isn't a matter of pass or fail. This is a matter of life or death. And because schools and because our government failed in the matter of preparing for this virus, parents are saying, we want to make sure that our children are safe. And we know, as you said, the statistics showing that black people are predisposed to this. Uh, we also know that with respect to children, children tend to spread this disease uh, or they're, they're disease spreaders more than anyone else. And with respect to children in comparison to kids in other countries, in this country, children tend to have more underlying issues. A report came out from the CDC that 75 percent of the children who are dying are children of color, black, Latinx and indigenous. And the condition, the underlying condition that they had more than likely was asthma. And black children have asthma twice as much 
as white students. So we know that there are issues and parents are really concerned. And so unfortunately, folks aren't necessarily stepping up the way that they should. And black students are in this catch-22 where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, Katura? Yes, um, I would like to say that I think, like he said, there are pre-existing conditions already. So there are already troubles with homework gaps, equitable education. And so it's like students are already playing catch up. So that's one problem that we should have dealt with before coronavirus. But now that we do have coronavirus, it's like we have to depend on laptops, Internet access. And the reality is a lot of students don't have that. And if we're not able to go back to campus, then what do we do when we're at home? Because some parents, you know, they might have to use the laptops. So it's like, okay, well, she has to pay the bills. I think that might trump me going to class at that moment. But that's also unacceptable for some professors because they're like, no, you need to make it to class. But if we don't have the resources and if the school can't provide the resources, then that's a bigger problem because it's like, yeah, we have CARES Act. We had that, what, last semester and some students might have gotten it for the summer, but it's like, okay, will we get that again? What other additional relief is there for us? And so it's like we have to start thinking about legislation to make sure that if there is an outbreak, another outbreak to occur, or what do we do moving forward, then it's something has to change because we don't have the resources all the time. Uh, I want to bring in my panel here, Greg Carr, uh, you professor there at Howard University. I mean, this is, uh, we said this early on, this is exposing the reality of education in this country. Uh, the difference between places where you have parents in suburban districts, who are largely white, who can afford to have one parent stay at home and really be the teacher, if you will. It's exposing the folks uh, who don't have the resources, who can't afford internet, who can't afford uh, the additional resources. And we're supposed to believe that children can get uh, a, a, a similar or an equal education in this situation? No, of course not. And I'm so glad uh, that you, you have our president there at Albany because I, you know, I teach. I'm one of those, uh, you know, folks, department chairs. I don't take course release. So I've got a number of students, and I am teaching synchronously, meaning... Um, I'm not recording lectures. I meet my classes and record them and then post them for people so the students who can't make it through the time zones. Two things come immediately to mind. Many of our students, in, you know, K-12 and university, don't have the resources at home. And, you know, universities trying to say, well, you know, make them uh, unmute their screens. Some people don't want you to see the circumstances they're under. And some people struggling to have to call in. That's on that side. But, you know, and I'd be interested in, in hearing what you have to say, Madam President, about this specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, our HBCUs, I mean, on the other side is I'm exhausted. Now, I'm a teacher. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, this thing is exhausted for me. But, but you know, our HBCUs, with the exception of Cheney and Lincoln and Wilberforce and maybe, you know, Lincoln and, 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 uh, and Missouri, a couple others, are in the South. And many of our schools are trapped by these uh, rogue white national state legislatures and governors and are forced into a Hobson's Choice. How are y'all managing down there when in Georgia, South Carolina, I've got friends at Claflin, SC State, other places, they're trying to force people to go back to school in situations that are endangering the health of the faculty and administration and endangering 
the students. I mean, how are you managing that there? Because as, as Erica, as we talked about many times, you know, Erica's hometown, Albany, you know, that COVID thing is real and it's hitting Albany like hell. How are y'all managing? So, well, first, I just want to start by saying shout out to all the HBCUs. But um, how are we managing? I would love to know myself. <laughs> it's extremely hard because a lot of students, um, thank God, my classes are all online, but there are some classes that are hybrid. So I think that's not only um, unsafe for students, but also professors. Because it's like Albany was a hot spot. And though the cases have gone down, it's like just in general, Albany is a college town and it's pretty small. So the resources that we have, the health resources that we have are already somewhat limited. So there isn't like necessarily a plan in place to help us with that. But it's quite hard because when you're a college student, of course, you want the college experience and we can't have that. You know, we can't have the football games like we usually have or the whatever other, you know, DJ come out or have any kind of events on campus. Um, So it's like we had to adjust a lot. We had to do so many different guidelines to do anything. And it's so hard, especially not being on campus because, you, of course, you miss everything. But, I mean, it's it's quite hard um, because even in Albany, sometimes the weather is really bad. So right now there was like a hurricane watch a few days ago. And so, okay, if the power is out, then how is everyone going to go to class? That's a whole nother thing. So it's very hard for us to manage. That's all I can say. Um, this is uh, something here again. Uh, where, you know, we're going to, ran. we're soon going to be done with the first month of school to really have an assessment. Um, what should be districts be, what should they be looking for? What should parents be saying uh, after this first month uh, to try to correct or fix uh, deficiencies deficiency they're seeing right now? So parents, the first thing that they can do is they can be really monitoring what's happening with their students. Um, even if you're not home every day, even if you don't have the opportunity to do that, check in with your kids, check in to see what they have going on, take notes, reach out to the teachers, stay on top of them, stay on top of them because they will respond if you do. Also attend those board meetings. Um, even if they're on zoom, even if maybe they're in person, maybe if there's some social distancing, go to those meetings, let your voices be heard, let them understand what challenges you're dealing with. And if you see that your students are being uh, tested and things of that nature, these assessments and stuff like that, particularly after the first month, no, we, we, we shouldn't be seeing that at all. Um, and we know that those assessments can harm uh, black and brown students also. And what school districts need to do is, is they need to just get back on the ball. Uh, if, if the districts have the opportunity to work with uh, hybrid or remote learning, they need to stick with the remote learning and do their best to make sure that it's improved, not just sticking with what they did in March, but making sure that they take all the necessary precautions to provide students exactly what they need. Hopefully they do that because uh, regardless, parents are staying home with their children. I mean, parents are wanting their children to stay home, particularly black parents, even with all of the various challenges and disparities, because again, it's a matter of life or death. All right, then. Well, look, we're going to keep uh, doing this again. Every week we're going to have our Education Matters segment. We certainly thank both of you for being with us, Katura Butler-Reed, Albany State, as well as Rand Miller. Thank you so very much for joining us.
Thank, Thank you. you. All right, let's go to our, let's go to our next education story, y'all. Today, uh, the idiot had a had a uh, conference at the White House today, all white historians, where he announced he's going to be uh, signing an executive order creating uh, a national patriotic education commission. He took the time to slam the 1619 project. Let's just say he was just simply talking to more white people. Listen to this fool. Like those of Howard Zinn that try to make students ashamed of their own history. The left has warped, distorted, and defiled the American story with deceptions, falsehoods, and lies. There is no better example than the New York Times totally discredited 1619 Project. This project rewrites American history to teach our children that we were founded on the principle of oppression, not freedom. Nothing could be further from the truth. America's founding set in motion the unstoppable chain of events that abolished slavery, secured civil rights, defeated communism and fascism, and built the most fair, equal, and prosperous nation in human history. <laughs> I just love, I just love Reese. How, how these white folks are just, 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 uh, crazy about the sixteen nineteen project, as if they just made it up, as if none of that stuff happened. I mean, we had a whole ass war to end slavery. <laughs> so what is he talking about? Like, oh, our founding led to slavery being abolished. No, it actually did not. There was a war. I don't, they're fighting over these Confederate statues. So they seem to have known that there was a war. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is just, this is, <laughs> this is what it looks like when you have a fascist government, when you have a government that's all about propaganda, whether it's vaccine propaganda, whether it is propaganda about history, whether it's propaganda about science, climate change, things of that nature. What Donald Trump and the Republican Party want to create is an alternate universe that extends beyond Fox News and actually extends into the classrooms and it extends into how we are actually teaching people about our American history, which, by the way, is already inadequate. By the way, there's already not enough information about the true nature of the way that this country was founded and the fact that we are still fighting for basic civil rights to this day. And so this is just another one of his ploys to try to create an alternate reality. Unfortunately, Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos are over the government and they have a large degree of power to actually see that these kinds of um, indoctrination, alternative histories actually make it into the classrooms. And that's very scary. Erica, this is all about appealing to whiteness. Donald Trump, Bill Barr, their whole deal, uh, they want to appeal to white voters and attacking 1619 Project. Oh, it's been, uh, it's distorted, it's been discredited. Actually, no, it hasn't. And, and guess what? They, they can try to run away from it all they want to. They can call, try to call this the 1776, 70, 1776 Commission. Let me, listen to y'all. 1619 happened. So did 1620, 1621, 22, 23, 24, 25, all the way up. 1863 happened. 
1865 happened. The Great Compromise of 1877 happened. Jim Crow happened. Black people having their land stolen happened. The peanut system, that happened. Pig laws, that happened. Lynching, that happened. Racism during World War One, that happened. Racism during World War Two, that happened. Racism during Korea, that happened. Racism during Vietnam War, that happened. I mean, we could just go on and on. I mean, here's my whole deal. If these white folks really want to have a debate, y'all, here's the deal. We more than prepared to have it. You know why? Because we now own shit. We now own media. And, and, and here he had all these historians, not a single black historian at his so-called little commission today, little White House on history, Erica. Yeah, why would they be? I mean, this is all about white supremacy. This is about a person whose father was arrested at a Klan rally, really living out his best years. And so if everyone is to buy into white mythology, which says that this noble um, Italian came across the shores and discovered America, and then fast forward to 1619, there were people that immigrated to the U.S. and labored um, the U.S. soil to make it the wealthiest country in the world. That is white mythology. The truth of the matter is that this country was founded on nothing less than genocide and nothing less than theft, full stop. And so he's talking to people that want to continue to live in this, um, this world where that is really the gospel. But it's not the truth, and it is very much so an unrepentant history. And so when you think about the way that uh, Betsy DeVos, who only came into power because, as Dr. Carr says, smiling Mike Pence casted the tie-breaking vote in the Wells and the Senate as the president of the Senate, you now see how uh, they have joined forces in order to continue to depress and oppress um, black folks, right? So particularly black children just coming off of the last segment um, that you just uh, had there a moment ago. And so if people don't really kind of see, use these as smelling salts to understand that mm -hmm. these people mean nobody any good. Um, the goal is uh, oligarchies in place. The goal is to have an authoritarian government um, ran by a white man, held down by white men. That And in that direction, it doesn't matter who gets dozed over. It will be black and brown people largely, but there will be white casualties as well. And so if people don't really come into the um, understanding that the media is just a tool to really um, telegraph the message of the apartheid state that the United States of America is headed into, um, I don't know what you know other evidence that people need that this is really um, nothing more than a group of folks who will do nothing, um, will stop at nothing rather, to have all of the power that they actually demand. And Greg, the whole deal with bringing up Howard Zinn and all this nonsense. I mean, these are illiterate people. These are individuals who know nothing. These are individuals uh, who, 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 are, who are full of it. Uh, Stephen Miller, we know damn well Trump can't read. And so, hell, he can barely even say the, say the uh, number 16, 19, 1776. Uh, but again, and not only that, I, like I have this story right here. Uh, go to my iPad, Dallas Independent School District apologized for an assignment that asked high school students to write an essay about a modern hero.
and suggested Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old charged with killing two people during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I mean, <laughs> we, I, I have been, Greg, I have been saying to people since 2009, we're living in the age of white minority resistance where yeah. white people are in the majority, but they, are, they have the people like, oh, no, no, we're losing. When they keep saying, we're losing our culture, our values, what they're actually saying, Greg, is whiteness no longer dominates. They know, they, what they're saying is, damn, we got to actually consider, we got to consider black people and consider Latinos <laughs> and consider Asians and Native Americans, we now got to listen to y'all. That, that's, that's all this is. That's right. Roland, you know, and this is why everybody needs to break off some change and support Roland Martin Unfiltered because this is your platform. This is Black-owned, and you can say whatever you want to whoever you want. Three quick things. Number one, he's not well. Something wrong with that man. You saw him laboring, going from teleprompter to teleprompter. Something wrong with him. And Howard Zinn, who died 10 years ago, could have walked in there and shook his hand. He wouldn't have known who he's talking about, which leads me to the second of the three points. Um, because this is your platform, because it is Black-owned, because it is unfiltered and unvarnished, I hope you can track down Jean Guerrero, because the author of that speech, Stephen Miller, uh, she breaks him down in hate monger. I want to watch you and Jean Guerrero have a conversation about Stephen Miller, because that is the words, as you say, that were going through his mouth as he moved his rotting body from teleprompter to teleprompter, because something is wrong with him. And the third thing is, Stephen Miller is Joseph Goebbels, the man they called mm -hmm. the Poison Dwarf, who in 1933, mm -hmm. when the Nazis took over in Germany, that's why Erica just laid this out. This, is, this ain't about truth. When Goebbels was appointed Minister of Propaganda in the Nazi regime in 1933, the first thing he did was ban books by Jewish authors. Yeah. Then he started putting his propaganda out, and you know finally that Goebbels had the famous quote that says, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating yeah. it, people will eventually come to believe it. This ain't no arguing yeah. about the truth or a lie. This is about mm -hmm. propaganda. He went on to say that the lie can be maintained only as long as the state can shield the people from the political, the economic, and the military implications of the lie. In other words, that's why the COVID thing is about. They just straight propaganda, and only, it can only be maintained as long as you can shield the people from the implication. But the people are dying now. Finally, Goebbels said the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the mortal enemy of the state. Understand what they are doing. We, we let's not waste any more time debating whether or not, oh, do they know that they not know? Oh, this right. is Goebbels in 33, man. This is straight yes. propaganda. As, as Reese has said and as Erica said, this is straight propaganda. I would love to hear you and Gene Guerrero talk about Stephen Miller for a solid hour, hour and a half, because if we don't get this straight, we are going to be living in that apartheid state that Erica just talked about. Uh, oh, trust me, we, we certainly would track her down. And, and the reason, and, and I need people to understand, I have a number say, thank God I found your show because you are saying stuff that I had never heard before. There's a woman named Robin. I forgot her last name. Uh, she tweets me all the time. She says, thank God. She said, because I would not know a lot of this stuff. And, I'm t I, and I keep telling people, y'all people playing around talking about Trump the same as Biden. 
Y'all can mark, what's the date? September 17th. <laughs> Y'all can write this day down. I'm telling you, if you think you've seen evil, you do not want to see evil. If you wake up on November 4th and this fool is uh, being reelected, I'm telling you, this week, Mitch McConnell pushed through eight federal judges, yeah. lifetime appointments. They won't even vote on a damn COVID bill. They won't even vote on... They don't... They ain't doing no other business in the United States Senate but pushing through judges. You heard Donald Trump say the other day, he said, by the end of this year, we're going to approve 300 judges. Y'all need to understand, it's mm -hmm. only... It's only 900 federal judges in America. That's right. You give him four more years, they will have appointed half of all federal judges in the United States, and they purposely are picking judges, 35 to 45, who are largely right-wing right men. Only one of those 200-plus judges they picked is black. Y'all, they, they are real clear. They want to put the power in the hands of white men. Right. They got token white women. They don't even want them. Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and Bill Barr are all about... See, when they criticize 1619, what they really are going back to is... See, y'all got to understand, if y'all ain't truly read uh, Dark Bargain or read the stuff, the, Uni um, the United States of America was founded to be controlled by land-owning white men. Some of y'all might say, well, why you just say not white men? Because if you were a white man who didn't own land, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want your ass to have power. Nope. Mm -hmm. The Electoral College was created as a slavery compromise as a way for them to control who became president in case the poor white people chose mm -hmm. somebody else. Mm -hmm. Y'all, black people, we weren't even in the conversation. Latinos, no. not in the conversations. Native Americans, Asians, no. So you need to understand what Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and all of them, what they desire is a nation that is holding on to white supremacy of white men. I'm not understating this at all. You need to understand when Donald Trump says, oh, if it wasn't for coronavirus in those blue states, our numbers would be lower. Y'all, 90,000 people have died of coronavirus in red states. Mm -hmm. Y'all need to understand, I'm telling you. And so mm. I'm not playing with y'all on this. When I'm talking about this election, this, you do not want to see it. And see, let me tell you what just went down a few hours ago. I didn't include this earlier. I'm just going to read it. Um, the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Oh, Trump about to be mad as hell. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court, as it, this is from the Philadelphia, the Philly.com, has extended the state's mail ballot deadlines on Thursday, a move that could allow tens of thousands of additional votes to be counted. Uh, state law says mail ballots must be received by 8 p.m. on Election Day. But the state Supreme Court said Thursday that ballots will be counted if they are received by 5 p.m. the Friday after the November 3rd election. Uh, to count ballots arriving after Election Day, they must either be postmarked by November 3rd or have no proof 
uh, they were sent afterwards. Not only that, uh, they also, the state Supreme Court, held that the state election law allows counties to use drop boxes for hand delivery of mail ballots. Uh, they also denied Donald Trump's request uh, to allow poll workers to work in other counties other than the ones where they are registered. They also denied a request that other people be allowed to deliver voters' ballots. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court kicked the Green Party's presidential candidate off the ballot. That happened. Now, here's the issue. I, I saw a story earlier in North Carolina. They're saying that uh, for all the ballots being returned, one of them, uh, uh, one out of every four uh, for whites is being kicked out. Black people, I need, oh, now everybody listening, I need y'all to listen. They are targeting, if you're going to vote by mail, right. they are targeting your ballots. That's right. You have to follow every single law. If That's it says right. bubble it in, do not just Mark a line through. No, you must literally bubble it inside the circles. I'm just saying, the reality is, Greg, you said it, you're going to vote in person. I was yes. going to vote. I was going to vote by, by absentee ballot because I'm still registered in Texas. I'm actually, early voting in Texas starts October 13th. What you going to do? I'm flying home. Wow! No, because I mean, I just no, because these, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I've flown home, I've flown home to vote before, but this is, I mean, understand the games that they are playing, even with mail-in, mail-in battling. So we need to understand what's going down, folks, uh, and so uh, that's why. But uh, Roland, people, they can still toss out your ballots even when you vote in person. So it's still I, I, important that no matter how you vote, that you fill out your ballot. Right, right, but it, but but it's, but it's harder. But it's harder to toss that ballot out when you vote in person. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and that's the piece because, again, some places have touch screen. Some people have, and then where you, you touch screen and then you scan your ballot in mm -hmm. and then it, it tells you out. So I need everybody listening why you must take your precautions and take your time uh, and, and plan this properly. And so uh, we're going to have our education segment, Education Matters, every single week. All right, y'all, uh, real quick, y'all know what time it is. <laughs> C-A-W-P. I'm white. I got you, Illegally selling water with our permit? On my property. Whoa! Hey! Hey, remember. Give me your don't live I'm uncomfortable. Black woman Tiffany Johnson jogging in New York, 53rd place in Broadway in Woodside, Queens, when a white woman threw a bottle at her and yelled, get out of here, nigga, go back to Africa. The video was captured by a bystander. Oh, oh shit. shit. Did you get that? Hold on, I think I did. Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! At first, she thought maybe the crazy-ass white woman had mistaken her for someone else. Now she says it was a hate crime, and she wants her to be held responsible. Damn, you can't jogging while black, Erica. Now, let me tell you something. It is the blood of Jesus, the power of God, <laughs> and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because, number one, I heard glass. So... That means that she had her rusty lips on whatever it was that she was drinking and mm. probably transported those particles onto my body. Uh, 90, 60, 100, these hands. 
That is completely, completely a call for come get me. So Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, the high road that she took, God bless her for that. But we are in uh, a time and a place in this country where folks have been given the cue to do what you please to these people. I'll protect you. He said that, the son of a Klansman said that at a rally when he was then candidate. Do whatever you like to these people. I'll take care of your lawyers. They're following the orders of their false God. And I'm saying, I want to see the footage of people giving hands back, laying these people down so that there will be less of these videos. Hmm. Racy? Let me tell you what, mistaken identity or not, she got the right one if she come across somebody like me because I'm beating her whole ass on that street. <laughs> that broken glass is going to be all up and through your your body because that is just complete... That is, that is like, beyond a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the show. That was glass mm-hmm. being thrown right. at a black woman jogging, and God bless her, but... She needed to beat the hell out of that woman. Okay, don't we don't turn the cameras off. Don't call the police. I'm gonna handle this right here, right now. And she gonna know to never, ever, ever do anything like that ever again. That's how you handle that situation. Greg, no, listen. I look, man. I love. Exa- I already know if that bottle had come anywhere near Reese or Erica. What would have happened? They would have captured the whole ass beating on camera. I'm just trying to figure out: Does it say Rolling? Whether they in Staten Island somewhere? Because clearly they ain't no, they ain't Harlem. No, nah, they were in Queens. Queens. They were in Queens. Oh, Queens. Uh, depending on what part of Queens is the most diverse uh, neighborhood borough in in the country. So I mean, I wonder we even what part of Queens. But you know, broken glass. I mean, broken glass. When you say broken glass, immediately I thought: Look, we just said Goebbels in 1930, 1933, mm. 1938. They had crystal knot. That's when these rogue ass Germans, just regular folk, go out and smash all the windows of the Jewish businesses and the Jewish houses. Mm. Why? Because as Erica just said, they have been given the signal: it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so go on out there and do whatever the hell you want. That white yeah. woman. As much Ooh. as I would love to see that ass whipping from either one of our sisters, <laughs> the simple fact of the matter is that that white woman is representing every white person in this country right now who is thinks they can go into a confrontation and win one. But they're mm. increasingly getting the right ones. But my God, brother, Ooh. that's just... Now, y'all want, y'all want to see Stuck on Stupid? Look at these dumb asses in Florida at Target. Are you fucking serious?
Watch these dumb asses at Target in Florida. Fucking idiot. The other day, though, uh, after this video came out, my wife went to a Target uh, in Virginia, uh, and she uh, sent me uh, this particular photo here. Uh, they ain't playing with y'all. Due to emergency order, you must wear a face covering to enter this store. I'm telling you right now, uh, th this, this, this is where if folk want to act a fool not wear a mask, fine, you take them down right there in the parking lot. <laughs> I personally, I don't want to witness the spectacle in person of a bunch of white degenerates who don't want to wear masks spreading their droplets, respiratory droplets, in my space. I'll watch it on the internet. If I see any foolishness like that, I'm walking the hell away. I'm not confronting people. Unless you come into me, then you do your crazy white people stuff over there because it's too much disease going out here to be even interacting with these crazy people. It's, 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 it's idiotic that, I mean, I mean, this is the reason why we cannot move beyond, because you have these people who all of a sudden, uh, Erica's like, oh my God, my freedoms. Then you got Bill Barr with his stupid comments about, oh, this is, this is the, the, the most against civil liberties since, uh, since slavery, which he called, that was another type of restraint. Oh, really? Restraint. I mean, I, I'm sure the Japanese who were, who were in internment camps in World War II might kind of disagree with the mask, Erica. For sure, but see, this is what happens when a group that has not been oppressed feels oppressed. They have no idea what oppression is. They have no idea what oppression feels like at all. Their whiteness affords them the freedom to do whatever the hell that they want to do because in all of those clips that you showed, if those, um, if there was melanin, if, there, if their skin tones would have been a bit darker, I'm just wondering where are all of the Target, Walmarts, all of the security cops that usually find their way mm -hmm. into stores mm -hmm. when you're thinking about a John Crawford who purchased a weapon from Walmart and was mm -hmm. killed um, because someone called the police on him. So this is really bullshit to me. And if people want to continue to make their stupidity on display for a global reasoning, go ahead and do it. I'll just say for a, for a person like me, I'm not even entertaining these stores. If it can't be ordered online, if it's not something that I can go and kind of grab and get, uh, you know, I'm out of the game. But again, this is more of the same, and we're going to continue to see more of the same of a group of people that feel as though they are actually being restricted and not being able to do what the hell they want to do, which is what they're accustomed to do Greg? since the inception of this country. Greg? No, I agree. I agree with Erica and, and, and Reese. I mean, you know, Roland... And you've been very careful. That's why I say, for you to get on a plane and go home to vote, 
you're signaling to everybody just how important this I ain't, is. I ain't flown since February. I ain't gone nowhere. I, I know it. I mean, you you haven't even gone. I mean, like, say, the March, Washington, you haven't even covered stuff, man. I mean, because you are the one-man gang there. I mean, you got the staff with mm-hmm. you, the crew, but you, you've you been very careful. So I say that to say this. Uh, like you, Erica, I mean, I've been very careful. You know, you go in, mm-hmm. you make your targeted thing. There are a few places that I've ventured out from in a moment. You know, one of them is, you know, my people now saying Kofa books mm-hmm. because, you know, we're trying to keep these black bookstores going. I'm, we social distancing yeah. the brothers and sisters in there moving stuff around. But I'm going to tell you right now, white boy come in, a uh, girl come in saying Kofa with no mask on, like they're just going to show their freedoms. Um, <laughs> I, there's a simple phrase. Uh, what are the five words that the cops use? I, I feared for my life. And um, <laughs> I'm going to take out all the teeth yes, of anybody roll up in a place like that. In fact, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. I'm not going to issue that threat because I wouldn't get to them because I wouldn't be the one closest to the door. Here's the message, white folks. Go to your super... No, nah, I don't even say white folks. Here's your. Here's the message, white national terrorists. Because there's also some, some dumb black folk with over this mad right. stuff, too. Well, well, you're exactly right. I mean, go to your super spreader rallies with Donald Trump. Yell, please yell as loud as you can, because when Donald <laughs> Trump was asked yesterday about that, he says, oh, there's no problem. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm far away from them. Thinking about himself. See, can you close the gap a little bit? And, uh, you know, you know, get out there and spit and cheer and, you know, sing Dixie. Do it all. Don't wear no pants. And then maybe this thing can be settled by uh, by nature. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say this here. Uh, to close this out. Uh, if you roll up that way on me, I'm going to start singing uh, Theotis Ely's stand-up in it, but that ain't going to be the meaning. Oh, Roland. <laughs> Roland, you're wrong for that, brother. They don't know that <laughs> reference, brother. You got... Oh, Roland, I can't believe you pulled that song out. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm stand up in it, but it ain't going to be what that song talking about. Unfiltered. I'm just letting y'all know. Oh, I'm just letting you you roll that way up on my wife or my nieces. Okay, just letting y'all know. Just letting y'all know. Uh, we got some folks uh, who support our fan club. Hey, Roland, thank you for um, for speaking truth to power. I haven't been a viewer for long, but I've learned so very much from your show. Please keep up the good work, and thank you for all you do to enlighten our minds and our hearts. That was uh, unsigned, but I appreciate that. Uh, and closes my membership for a fee to join RMU fan club. It took a minute, uh, but uh, it finally got started. Almost met you years ago when Hill Harper was in town and you came to the bookstore where he was signing books and sharing insights. I so admire what you're doing for our community. Best is yet to come. Beverly Singleton, I appreciate it. Y'all, y'all be sending notes on anything. This is uh, like, a, 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 <laughs> like a Franklin Covey planner. Dear Uncle Roro, I never write to any programs, but I am compelled to drop you a note. My sister is an avid fan of your show. Now a new member of your fan club. Your show is always on. She repeats shows to make sure she doesn't miss anything. We are both over 60, so getting black news is so relevant and important. We tell folks all the time to tune in. Uh, We got to keep this going. Real dialogue, real info. Too much cussing for me, though, but I love the show. (laughs) Well, shit, you know how we do. I'm messing with you. I'm sorry. So 
that's Thursday night. Uh, that's Cindy Harrison Odom, uh, the sister of Tony Harrison. She was so happy her note was read on air. Y'all see how y'all do? Her sister sent a note, so she sent one. Okay, all right. So you want to keep up the good work. It is much appreciated. Uh, please fix your tech problems on YouTube. Uh, and Facebook, that was on them. That wasn't us. Uh, good luck and God bless uh, Nancy Carter. Uh, oh, too late. P.S. Uh, uh, don't say my name. Okay, I ain't say your name, Nancy Carter. Uh, let's see here. You sent a note that's going to get read. I, look, I, you can't put that at the bottom. You should put it at the top. Right. Don't say my name at the top because I'm going to read it. Uh, let's see. Roller Martin, love the show. Keep up the good work. Truth to power all the way. We as black people have had it hard all of our lives, and it's time for us to put our hands together and push forward. United we stand, divided we fall, so let's ride this thing until the wheels fall off. Holler, the truth is the light of our solution. That was unsigned, so I appreciate it. Somebody wrote a dissertation. Lord, okay, I'm going to have to read that another day. I need, a sh I need a short note. I need a short note. Dear sir, I'm sending this money for support. Hope it helps. That's it. Preston Allen. Preston, I appreciate it. We, uh, the daughter and I, Cynthia A. Flower, would like to um, um, would like to be uh, become supporters of New Vision, and we're looking forward to assisting any way we can. Sincerely, I cannot read your name, but it says uh, something. McElroy Flowers Senior. Thank you. So I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a bunch. Let's see here. Uh, this is Barry Howard. I just want to thank you for the platform of your show. Um, given, uh, I can't reach out right now. Regarding Black Lives Matter, this show is greatly needed for our black folks' information on what's happening with the nation. Please stay true to our people. And here's my contribution on keeping us informed. I appreciate Rolamart Unfiltered very much. So those are some of the notes. I got a whole bunch of others, y'all, here uh, from people who sent notes in. I mean, so Kimberly uh, uh, Cargill, uh, she sent a note. She said, you're awesome. And this side say, that is all. So she kept it real short. <laughs> she kept it short and sweet. And last one, this is from Cheryl. Thank you so very much for your program. The people need this very important information. Stay strong. Cheryl, thanks so much uh, for your call. Y'all Y'all want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, go to Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me, forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com is forward slash rm unfiltered. You can send a money order to New Vision Media, NU Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. We're approaching 13,000 members of our fan club. Our goal is to get 20,000 by the end of the year. Contributing at least 50 bucks each, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, that's why it matters. Why is it important? Go back to the full panel. Reason this is important, folks. Your dollars make this show possible. Make it allow us to do what we do. Uh, remember, the debates are taking place this month in October. We're going to be doing live debate coverage right here on Rollerbar Unfiltered. Y'all can ignore CNN, MSNBC. Fox News and other networks. If y'all looking for the real breakdown of these debates, y'all can watch it right here. Tell a friend, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, it's about helping us watch the videos there. Also, later tonight, you're going to be able to see the rebroadcast to earlier today. Another reason why we created the platform, the Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, 
We live streamed their virtual gala where they honored Nicole Hannah-Jones, Ben Crump. They honored um, uh, also uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, and others. And so we live streamed that. Y'all don't want to miss that as well. Yeah. That's why we created this, so we can have a place where black folks ain't got to ask nobody permission to do what we do to say what we say, and to cover our issues and put them front and center. So thanks a bunch. Uh, Reese, Erica, Greg, thanks for being on the panel. As always, folks, I will see y'all tomorrow when we bring the funk. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.